Welcome back to the Energy Today podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Roos, and let's get into it. So these past few weeks have been awfully interesting looking at the oil market. We've actually seen oil prices continue to march higher towards $76 per barrel. Um, so throughout this episode, I'll be discussing OPEC, what's going on with them, a few oil price indicators, the eye of fire in the Gulf of Mexico, which I'm sure everybody has seen on social media, as well as something that I've already talked about on the show, but there's a new development in, which is the Keystone XL pipeline. Um, so looking across the broad market at the moment, we've continued to see commodity prices such as lumber, all of these things, oil continue to go higher and higher and higher. And not only does this have to do with investors seeking a return over the very low return that you can see in bonds right now. So people are investing in stocks and cryptocurrencies as well as commodities as a part of that mix. And you kind of combine that investor appetite as well as concerns about inflation, which oil is a hedge on inflation. And you think about um, the bottlenecks of trade that are brought about from the coronavirus and how different parts of the world are still being impacted in different ways. Um, this seems to be a trend that's going to continue going forward. To what extent, I can't tell you, um, but it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. So looking at the U.S. oil market and how this fits in with this continued rise in oil prices and how that works with the U.S. industry in general. Um, as I've touched on many times in the show, there's this continued focus on being um, or having restraints surrounding production. And while oil demand is taking off here in the U.S. and across the globe, we're really entering a new phase in the oil market. And we're, it's yet to be seen how this will all pan out in a post-COVID world. Again, investors are demanding that oil and gas companies be responsible in their drilling and their balance sheets um, and returning money to shareholders. So as we see oil prices continue to go up and up and up and we have this demand for this constraint by oil companies, it'll be interesting to see how this continues to play out and how this kind of shakes out in the post-COVID world. And actually this past week, I sat in on ConocoPhillips' investor update, and this thinking was on full display here. Whenever I was listening to this, much of the commentary was focusing on shareholder returns and lowering capital expenditures, CapEx, basically the money that we put towards investing and developing new projects, so exploring and producing for gas, natural gas, all of those different byproducts. So when I think about how this will play out going forward, from what I've taken from my listening in on the ConocoPhillips' investor update to now is that the oil companies that will do well at this point are the ones that are going to do all of those things I just talked about. Produce responsibly, keeping an eye on their balance sheet and what they're spending on new projects and returning cash to shareholders. Um, gone are the days of continuing to produce and produce and produce. It's really a focus on who is the most responsible and efficient at any sort of price range. And as oil prices continue to go up, broad swaths of oil drillers are going to be more and more profitable. So it'll be interesting to see if that trend will continue. And if we do see a lot more oil production here in the U.S. come online, how that will influence oil prices. And I'll get into what, what's going on at OPEC in a minute, which is obviously super central to the oil price narrative. So 
looking at what's going on over in China, as China is one of the world's largest importers of crude oil, so apparently China stockpiled up on crude back whenever prices were touching negative territory back in April of 2020. So they have a, a broad storage inventories of crude. So as we see oil prices continue to go up, I'm curious, well, maybe, you know, if you were China, would you want to continue to import at higher and higher prices or tap into your inventories that you bought for much, much cheaper rates than now? So something to keep in mind there and how that might impact oil prices going forward. So looking at OPEC in a little bit more detail, OPEC is the oil is uh, this big group um, of oil producing countries um, and <laughs> I apologize, the uh, big group of oil producing countries and they seek to maintain price stability um, by either holding back production or, or adding more production and supply onto the market. And they had a meeting today on the back of disagreement of a meeting last week within this big oil group. And it, again, it, this group holds much of the world's reserves and production. So really what they say does matter. Um, and actually the meeting today was delayed again amid more disagreement between Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, UAE for short, which we'll touch on in just a moment. So last week, the group had that meeting that I briefly just touched on, and they discussed increasing their production by 2 million barrels per day from August of 2021 through December of 2021, which this increase of production actually came in below analyst expectations. So people following the market, investors following the market expected OPEC to increase production by more. So them thinking that there's going to be more production coming on the market and there's less is a bullish sign for oil prices and which reflected in oil prices jumping on the news. And what OPEC does signals to the rest of the market about where they see the oil market going. So if something that they do like increasing production by less than what participants expected is going to do well for oil prices. So it's really fitting in within that narrative at the moment. So over the past four months or so, this group has continued to roll back the production cuts that they instituted during the pandemic to try and influence and increase oil prices because much of these countries' economies are dependent on oil prices. So they had a meeting last week that uh, last week um, to discuss production quotas across its member countries for the month of August and, and how that will play out going forward. And they had talked about that 2 million barrel per day increase. So during all of these discussions, um, the, UAE, the UAE actually um, kind of had an issue with this. I'll read a little quote, quote to you from oilprice.com. It says, the UAE is blocking a deal that would see the group raise production and extend the pact beyond April 2022, unless it's given Unless it gets a revision of its baseline for the production cuts, the UAE is not opposed to easing of the cut to the easing of the cuts, but it wants its baseline to be revised up by around seven hundred thousand barrels per day from the current baseline level. And this is no surprise here that the UAE has an issue with continuing to increase production, but their quota isn't really going to change, right? So the UAE does claim that there's a dire need for increased production 
Um, and they are actually the ones that are holding back the most of their production from the market. And it seems to me that the UAE wants the balancing of production quotas to be shifted in some way so that way they ease the burden on themselves because as they're seeing oil prices continue to rise, well, they want to make more money and generate money for their economy, invest in their people, all of those things. So that's kind of that situation. There's that, there was a disagreement last week, right? And then over the weekend, um, Saudi Arabia actually um, imposed tariff amendments on Israel, which is a close UAE partner, which is not <laughs> necessarily uh, a way to lessen the uh, disagreement and kind of putting this all together the picture does look rather bleak going forward um and then today actually uh whenever i was getting gathering my thoughts for this episode opec met again and quickly left the meeting or canceled the meeting or or didn't meet did not meet an agreement um so there was no further um, headway in blocking the gridlock between these two countries. So actually on the news, oil prices did increase from $75 per barrel to $76 per barrel, which is rather interesting. It's really, can't explain that too terribly much, but whenever OPEC does meet and talks about raising production, really what it's signaling to the market is that things are looking better better and better and better and whenever they expect more demand to come onto the market well they want to make money so they want to increase production across their group um so just something to kind of think about there so that's kind of what's going on in opec i hope all of that made sense it's, it's really complicated to kind of distill information um uh, when it comes to opec because it's coming it's coming from all sides um but i hope that did make sense and another piece in this whole puzzle is if you've been following the news and what's coming out of the Biden administration is that they have been in talks with Iran on the nuclear deal, which President Trump, ex-President Trump left uh, a, a few years ago or so. Uh, so recently, the Biden administration actually lifted economic and political sanctions on Iran. So these were initially put into effect because Iran was doing ac- having activities with their nuclear developments, which... Uh, many countries were not a fan of. So whenever, I guess as a part or an olive branch of restoring these nuclear deal talks, the U.S. has lifted these sanctions, meaning that Iran, with its roughly 69 million barrels uh, of floating storage in their much vast oil reserves, those are set to make their way into the global supply chain of oil. So adding further pressure to supply and then you think about how this fits in with the OPEC story what does that look like for countries like the UAE and Saudi Arabia are they still going to increase production as there's more Iranian production coming onto the market it's just interesting to see and what OPEC does and say really ripples across the world so that is (laughs) that that is the importance of them there so Shifting gears a little bit more, looking at U.S. rig counts. So rig counts here in the U.S., which is sort of an indicator of how much supply we can expect to come onto the market and activity going on across the oil patch here in the U.S. So rig counts uh, are up five from the prior week, sitting at 475 active rigs. And the bulk of this did come out of Colorado, which has the Neobrera oil basin. So I had expected this. Um, I would imagine that with 
oil prices at $75 per barrel um, that more rigs would come onto production. I can't say specifically why near Brera, but um, this is still a comfortable spot to be sitting at at 475 active rigs because the last time that oil was at this price, we had 1,000 active rigs here in the U.S., so more than half of today. So this really does fit within that broader story of more responsible um, acting on on the part of um, the U.S. shale industry. So looking at inventories here in the U.S. of crude. So the inventories of here in the U.S. for crude have decreased by 6.7 million barrels from last week. So that's currently sitting at 452 million barrels and 6% below the five-year average for this time of year. So this is continuing to trend down and down and down as far as inventories are, are continuing to shift lower and lower and lower, lower and lower and lower, which is certainly a good thing. Um, just considering having less supply on the market means that there is less supply, demand stays the same, oil prices should continue to go up. And I know I've said that oil prices are going to continue to go up multiple times on this show. I don't necessarily think that you know, there's there's a ceiling here. Like we can't continue to go higher and higher and higher because at a certain price point, you know, Iran's going to start producing a lot more. OPEC's going to roll back all of their production cuts. Um, you know, maybe maybe China stops importing as much as they uh, had been. So while there are a lot of indicators pointing to a stall, a solid crude price range, I think that there's a lot of cautiously optimistic reasoning that needs to be happening within the market and it's really something to to follow going forward and this OPEC development that I touched on will really play out over this rest of this week or whenever they reschedule their next meeting and if there's much more disagreement within the within this group I could even see maybe the UAE leaving leaving OPEC possibly and what that would do across the market would probably be wide ranging I don't know if it would go mean that um, bullish or bearish for the oil market but it'll just be something to follow and a really driving factor over this next week. And hopefully I'll have more information to bring to you uh, whenever I record next week's episode. So looking at um, actually two different stories. So I first want to talk about the Eye of Fire um, that was all over social media. It was just this big, you know, ring of fire, Eye of Fire uh, in the Gulf of Mexico right next to an offshore oil rig. And this uh, offshore oil rig belongs to Pemex, which is Mexico's national oil company. And it popped up next to that offshore oil rig off the coast of Mexico's Yucatan Peninsula. Um, It was deemed that a gas leak from an underwater pipeline was responsible for sparking this um, fire that happened and ended up taking around five hours to fully extinguish. And this pipeline connects to the, I'm going to butcher this, it's the Kumalubzap oil development, which is actually Pemex's most important basin. It's located on the southern edge of the Gulf of Mexico. And while there's much less offshore oil rigs in the Mexican in Mexican waters, as opposed to the U.S. waters, um, it's not a good look for the industry at all. And Pemex, they have been known for oil accidents and lapses in safety, but there's no doubt that this will lead to further negative perception of the oil industry here in the U.S. And it's truly an unfortunate event. I'm sure it could have been avoided. And if there's anything that I've learned from my internship this summer at ConocoPhillips is that 
the oil industry is very, very safe in how they go about their practices. And it's been such a long evolution of becoming the safest possible drillers offshore as well as onshore in the U.S. And unfortunately, this is just par for the course at this point with the U.S. oil industry, really in, in general, being under a magnifying glass at all times. Um, so definitely not a great look whatsoever, um, but hopefully, you know, everything and they get it all cleaned up and everything becomes okay over there. So while I was kind of getting ready to record this episode, I checked up on oilprice.com and actually saw that this really kind of groundbreaking article that the Keystone XL owner which again, for a little background, the Keystone XL pipeline was uh, canceled by the Biden administration. Uh, the, actually canceled the permit um, for the pipeline to cross the U.S.-Canadian border. Um, this is really a big development. Not good for the industry or people in general or the economy. But the owner and the operator of this pipeline is TC Energy, based out of Canada. And they're actually seeking $15 billion in damages from the Biden administration for canceling this pipeline. And they spent so much money trying to make this happen and faced a litany of all kinds of litigation and, and issues um, regarding making this project happen. And now TC Energy is claiming that the Biden administration violated the North American Free Trade Agreement, NAFTA. Um it's a developing story here, but it points to possible future litigation against government for intervening in free market oil industry activities. And this could really be a wake-up call across the world for, you know, if there's more government intervention and canceling of these kinds of projects, well, could that open up various governments to certain forms of litigation and lawsuits? So, this could do that, or it also could go nowhere and, and really solidify government's role in intervening to make um, the world a greener economy and a greener place to live. So certainly something to follow. Um, either way this kind of goes, it'll be interesting to see through. Hopefully I'll have some more information for next episode. But that is all that I have for today's show of the Energy Today podcast. I will drop the relevant links in the show notes. I'd encourage you to check them out. Thank you all for tuning in. I hope you all had an incredible 4th of July weekend and stayed safe and I hope you have a great week.